All right, welcome back to Guys Nation Wrestling Podcast. We've got a special treat for you on this segment: top ten character repackagings. And uh, that song we just heard might come up at some point during the list. Uh, if you want to give us any feedback or questions or comments about the list, hit us up on Twitter at GN Wrestling, Guys Nation Wrestling on Facebook, or Wrestling at GuysNation.com is the email. So, without further ado. We're going to talk about uh, top ten character repackagings, guys that had previously been somewhat relevant uh, with one gimmick and then kind of switched gears into something else entirely, whether it was gradual, whether they were out of action for a while, whether they jumped federations, things like that. There's various different ways, but that second gimmick they got um, was successful in some way, so that's one of the reasons we think... uh, the gimmick change is, is worth mentioning on the list. That's why I made the top ten versus some others. All right. So without further ado, uh, coming in at number ten on the list, we have Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner. So before he changed, Scott Steiner was a member of a tag team a very storied tag team with his brother, Rick. And to that point, they'd shown flashes of their personality here and there. You would see, you know, Scott, you know, was the one that uh, was certainly the stronger of the two, and his brother probably showed more personality through barking and getting all on all fours and kind of taunting his opponent a little bit. Wow, I totally forgot about the all fours thing. Yep, and the, uh, he wore the ear cups. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so they were they were an interesting tag team. They were certainly storied. They fought all around the world. You know, they wore their University of Michigan uh, Go Blue letter jackets, and uh, they they certainly had um, some tout. But the clout. NWO, yeah, yeah, all right. They certainly had some clout, right? Right. Uh, you have to forgive me because I had I got to mention uh, University and of Michigan there. Did so they all, all hyped up? Did they have a, a short cup of coffee with the WWF? They did. They were actually on the WrestleMania 9 card. That's right. And they beat uh, the Head Shrinkers. The, right. Uh, the great Head Shrinkers. You had the opportunity to have Money, Inc. versus the Steiner Brothers, and you didn't take it. Right. So, NWO was in, uh, was in, the, in the course of recruiting new members. There were new guys changing each week. And you had the Steiner brothers go up against them. And it was Scott Steiner who switched. And because he switched and cut his hair, dyed it bleach blonde, grew out the goatee, we got the man known as Big Papa Pump. Holler if you hear me. <laughs> now, uh, John, I don't know about you, but I feel like that was a uh, not only a good switch in terms of character for him, but it put him into a new level of superstardom, not only because he got to go into singles and get uh, world championships, but because he got a lot of fans because he was crazy and he got to show off his crazy side. Yeah, it was clearly, um, I think, a case of a guy being himself more than the previous gimmick that he was given. Uh, you, you You can't just act that crazy. You've got to actually be that crazy. So, 
yeah, I think it was a smashing success. It to me, as a guy that wasn't necessarily a WCW follower, I would just kind of hear about it here and there. Uh, I was always kind of taken aback when I realized Scott Steiner was this maniac who was now like you know in their main event scene because I just remembered him as the Steiner brother and he didn't necessarily stand out back then. But yeah, yeah, so yeah it was a pretty amazing transformation. I don't know about you, but uh, before he became Big Papa Pump, I never noticed that his bicep has a bicep on top of it. Oh, I know. It's uh, it's almost gross. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's number 10 on the list. Uh, shout out to a main event status. Not everybody on the list is going to be a main eventer, mind you, so, uh, so look forward to that. Now, the next guy also was in WCW for a while. Uh, I'm not too sure how long, but uh, and then he had kind of a weird boy band gimmick for a little while too. Um, but we're talking about Hurricane Helms. Stand back! There's a hurricane coming through. I thought this this gimmick was was pretty amazing. Uh, kind of out of nowhere, uh, he had, I guess he had signed with WWF and then you know with the Alliance angle. Um, and he had been fairly well known in WCW, although he never really achieved major success. Um, so he always just kind of seemed like a bit player, I thought, you know, on a, like a level of a Tyson Kidd or a Zack Ryder maybe, where, you know, the guy might have a little success, put it with the Intercontinental title, but he's never really a focal point. Uh, but then he comes up with this Hurricane gimmick, and it's perfect. I mean, it's literally a superhero. He's got his the Hurricycle with Molly Holly sidecar um, he had a, a great feud with The Rock I mean he was one of the only guys that feuded with The Rock at that point um, the intro that we use for our, our own show obviously is Hurricane's <laughs> intro um, and yeah I, I don't know just the whole thing that, that he transformed into this guy was, was pretty impressive to me Yeah, and, and I remember seeing him back in WCW and my memories of him there obviously he was in three count uh, weird boy band, uh, three uh, you know group of three guys that were there, and and obviously that was pretty terrible. I had to sit through a uh, a match at Starcade with those guys, but other than that, all he really did in WCW was introduce people to one of the most dangerous looking moves in the world, uh, known as the Vertebraker. And if yeah. if any of our listeners haven't seen the Vertebraker, it is scary as shit. And I, I personally wouldn't want to take it if I was a, an opposing wrestler and I'd be scared to death that he was going to break my neck. Um, but I, I distinctly remember the segment that was probably the last segment of Gregory Helms before he became Hurricane Helms. I, I don't remember whether he was still Sugar Shane before that point or, or you know at what point they did that. But he was backstage and he had the Green Lantern tattoo on his shoulder which I thought was the coolest thing in the world because I had a Green Lantern t-shirt. And one of the interviewers came back there and they were saying, you know, why, why do you have a, uh, a superhero tattoo on your shoulder? Do you like superheroes? And he just looked at her and he said, because I am a superhero. And then you heard the whoosh <laughs> and he like hopped away. And I, I thought that was like the perfect part of how they sold that character is it would always do the whoosh sound, and then he would exit the scene. And when yeah. when good 
I don't know if you remember, but the parts he had backstage segments when he was Hurricane, where he would be playing Gregory Helms, mild mannered reporter, and he would have to yeah. wear the hat because he had his hair dyed green. Yeah, that's right. I, I definitely totally forgot about that. That's that's a good call. Uh, yeah, it, and it's amazing in the sense that wrestling lends itself to comic book heroes. You know, it, it's not that far off, but nobody ever really played a part like this, and especially not this well. Right. Uh, you would have thought this had been done before, but, I mean, I'm sure guys tried, but then nobody came close to what he did. Yeah, and I, I was always hoping that they would actually, uh, you know, invest in this character, give him a championship. I was really hoping for a feud with between he and Raven, who was kind of the dark character of the time, because I think The Undertaker at that point was the American badass. But yeah. we certainly did get some some classic moments. And for me, the reason why Hurricane is higher on this list than Scott Steiner is because Scott Steiner would have been fine if he would have just stayed in the tag team. I would have still enjoyed him. But Hurricane Helms, he, he you know, took his career to a new atmosphere with this. So I... I thought I thought it was a brilliant change for him, and that's, yeah. I'm happy he's on the list. Yeah, absolutely. Got a few championships out of it, um, and he still still does some independent work apparently as the characters. So that's kind of funny. All right, now we get to number eight on the list. One of your personal favorites, uh, the man they call Raven. You gotta keep them separated. So. I don't know if you remember, but uh, at some point in the early 90s, there was a manager in WWE named Johnny Polo. And he was essentially like a young Jim Cornette. He was kind of like a like a Richie boy, like, you know, arrogant, cocky, whatever, you know, talked a lot. He did commentary a few times. I, I think he carried around a croquet mallet. Um, yeah. And you, know, you just see this guy, and it's like, okay, he's a manager. And then he goes away, and you're like, okay, you don't give it another thought. And then you find out there's a guy in ECW by the name of Raven who's tearing up the scene. And then he goes to WCW, and he tears up the mid-card. And then you find out this is the guy that was Johnny Polo. It blew my mind, and... There was tons of potential with the character. He's a really smart guy. If you ever, you ever hear interviews, he gave some of the best vignettes I've ever seen. And it's just incredible to me that a guy who was this weird manager type guy in WWF went on to be a cult classic character like Raven. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't even really realize that he had been that character as a manager in WWF. I mean, I was watching off and on in that time period. Um, I guess he, he managed Adam Baum and uh, the Quebecers. So, yeah, I mean, I don't even know how much he was even on TV. So, yeah, it's it's pretty stunning that a guy who was whose talent was basically not even recognized by WWF ended up being such a star when he went elsewhere and then, and then also got a, a nice little run with WWF right after that. Yeah, I mean, he, he was certainly the type of guy where if you blinked during a WAF show, you would miss him. I mean, he would probably do, like, one thing per show that would last maybe 15 to fifteen to 45 seconds here and there. 
But, uh, yeah, he certainly wasn't all that noticeable. And back in WCW, I guess before he went to WAF, he was Scotty Flamingo. And I guess he held some light, light heavyweight championship, which I didn't even know existed. So WCW well, he, and WAF missed the ball on him. <laughs> well, he is the 27-time WWE Hardcore Champion, which is the oh. record. So that's a successful career. Well, yeah, uh, except for anybody who likes Raven that uh, that saw those 27 reigns. Right. They were kind of painful. Right, yeah, I got you. All right, so that's number eight on the list. Uh, now, another guy whose talent nobody really realized until uh, he got this repackaging is the number seven on our list, Mr. Bradshaw. It's JBL, John Layfield Bradshaw, or John Bradshaw Layfield, I guess. Um, he had been in the APA, or he had originally just been a guy, you know, his own character, and then yes. joined he up was... with uh, the ministry, I guess, and then did the APA. Yep, he was he was originally a guy named uh, Justin Hawk Bradshaw. That's right. And yeah. he carried around a branding stick, and I believe his manager was maybe Uncle Zeke, but I, I, I believe it was Zeb Coulter was his manager back in the day. I think you're right, yeah. I just, I just watched some of that. Yep, and just like you were mentioning, he uh, he becomes one of the, uh, the faceless men- members of the, uh, the ministry, and then he and uh, Farouk were the acolytes. Then they became the APA protection force that essentially drank beer and played cards backstage and smoked cigars. And then he showed his true colors. Yeah. Yeah, it it was a stunning, stunning switch. And, you know, truth be told, I missed some years here and there, so I didn't quite see his full run as the champ. But, you know, from the outside looking in, it was another one of those situations, kind of like Scott Steiner, where I thought, wow, this guy was just a guy I remember being in a tag team. And now he's like the man. And it, and it's believable. Uh, I mean, who knew he was so good on the mic? You never really heard him before. And now, obviously, he's he's still playing this, this new character uh, as a commentator and, and just like a breath of fresh air compared to what we had, you know, before him. Yeah, and, you know... Back when his title reign was going on, his historic title reign that lasted forever, it didn't really strike me as a great title reign. It just struck me as he's a really good character who's good on the mic. He's uh, above average to good in the ring. And he's got a really fun gimmick. And they just didn't find anybody else that they'd rather give the, uh, the championship to. Yeah, yeah, it certainly could be looked at as a as a transition kind of guy, maybe almost like Diesel was back in the day, just holding the belt forever. Yeah. Um, but you know, and then he was the ultimate one to put over the to put over John Cena and start that era. Right. Uh, so he does hold a significant place in WWE history for that. Yep. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, great great gimmick change. Uh, he had to be on the list. I thought he might have ended up cracking our top five, but but we got more guys ahead. 
Yeah, we, we um, have some pretty good guys in the top five, though, I will I will say. And just before we get there, we've got number six, uh, a man who has returned to, to prominence and perhaps even more prominent than ever, Gold Dust. I remember him a little bit in WCW, just noticing that he was, you know, uh, Dusty Rhodes' son, you know, and then just his look with the boots and being so tall, you're like, well, this guy's, you know, never know, he could be something, but but he was just, never got anywhere, and then they started having those vignettes um, for Gold Dust with the, with the kind of gold uh, shading on the camera and, and Marlena and all this, and uh, just a complete out-of-nowhere gimmick that I would argue was kind of the, the the beginning of the Attitude Era as far as pushing the envelope um, with this kind of... He was essentially homosexual in the ring. You know, he was touching himself, touching guys. You know, it was just... It was very kind of risque at the time for, for WWE. And uh, and he's still going strong. And, and I, we had talked about, I don't know, a while ago that there was this... Uh, Legends of Wrestling show where they talk about different different guys and I think they talked about craziest gimmicks or something and they had Dusty Rhodes on the panel and they were discussing wrestlers and they brought up Gold Dust and he said, you know, when he first heard about this gimmick, he thought this is horrible, this is going to ruin his career because you know, they had stuck WWF had stuck Dusty himself with a terrible gimmick. Right. Um, and so he just he didn't want that for his son, but here we are. I mean, he didn't become a world champion, but he's hell of a lot more relevant than he was as Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, and, and I think you made a comment about how you, you kind of noticed him in WCW, and you the main thing you, you took away from that was that he was Dusty Rhodes' son. And really, in those days of WCW, that's all they gave you was this guy's name. And he was he was very kind of vanilla in the ring from what I remember. I don't, I don't remember a, uh, a finishing move. Um, I just, you know, I remember how he looked, and he looked kind of bland. I mean, he looks... Yeah. He looked more bland then than Cody Rhodes did ever. So, you know, they didn't give you much there, and then he came here, and, and yeah, certainly they uh, they played up the idea that, uh, you know, this guy might be homosexual, and you had some of his opponents kind of react to that. I, I distinctly remember a uh, the feud between he and Razor Ramon where... Yeah. Gold Dust is kind of, you know, playing it up, and then at one point he unzips... His, uh, his gold dust attire that goes all the way up to his neck, and he has this tattoo on his chest. It's like a red heart that says Razor or, or Ramon in it. And I was like, this is brilliant. He is playing mind games. Yeah. And he clearly had Marlena outside the ring, and she was smoking hot. Oh, yeah. So I don't know what the story was there, but if, that, if there was some kind of off-screen thing between the two of them, he dropped the ball on that, unless she was batshit crazy, because she was hot. Yeah, well, they were married for a long time, but uh, yeah, I guess well, he, not anymore. He dropped the ball if she's no longer with him. <laughs> you never know. Bitch could be crazy. Yeah. But uh, Wouldn't surprise. yeah, so it's really cool to see him back. Although the one thing I'm a little bummed about is that they've added Cody's uh, lyrics to his theme song, which to me, his original theme song is one of the all-time greats. I just it it perfectly fits his character. It's it's 
it's uh, I don't know. There's just something about it. The way it's written, the way it sounds, it it feels like a like an epic entrance. Uh, so you know, to me, that part of a repackaging is is developing that environment, that feeling when the guy comes out. And this was a full on repackaging from you know soup to nuts. He was a complete new character that's endured for almost 20 years now. So yep. he had to be on the list. Yep. And if if uh, if I were to rank the top 10 gimmicks and the top 10 theme songs of all time, you can be darn sure that uh, in my list that I whittle down to 10, Gold Dust and his theme song are going to be on there. Absolutely. All right. So uh, you probably would have guessed this guy would be on the list based on our song coming back from break. Uh, the man they call Sting. The franchise of WCW and currently TNA in some ways. Uh, what do you got on Sting, Rob? Well, he's an interesting one because to me, you would have thought that if WCW was going to invest heavily in anyone, it was going to be Sting. Because he was there before Hulk Hogan got there. He was there. He had some epic matches with Ric Flair. They did the NWO angle. And suddenly, their franchise guy, who was this surfer guy who had the Ultimate Warrior-style face paint, who had the bleached blonde hair that was spiked up, he had gotten overlooked for Team WCW facing the NWO and he exited and then he came back and he was in the rafters and he was made up to look essentially just like the character the crow yeah and he could have been a huge huge name he could have been much bigger than he was but because of the creative control that Hulk Hogan had because of how much political pull Hulk Hogan had backstage. You had this guy who came to avenge WCW and put down the NWO. You essentially cut him off at the knees. Mm. But it was such a huge, huge change for him. And he's still an iconic name in the industry and he's still using that gimmick today. It, it, it didn't just become a change in his persona. It became the new definition of who Sting is. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so it, it is probably surprising in that sense where you thought he was getting saddled with something and then he's just stuck with it. Yep, and I, I, don't, know, I don't know about you, but I'm sure a lot of people out there if they've heard of Sting, if they've heard of, you know, the uh, the professional wrestler known as Sting, I'm sure a lot of them don't even know about his previous incarnation where he was the spiky blonde hair with the Ultimate Warrior style face paint. They just think of him as a guy who looks like the character from the movie The Crow. Yeah, and, that, and that's an interesting point because, yeah, it, d- it totally depends on when you started watching because you get those first impressions on guys. Uh, so for me, when I think of Sting, I think of that surfer guy. Uh, but clearly, that's not even close to what he actually is. Um, you know, in the in the in the history books, he's he's more the crow. 
Alright, so that was number five. Uh, another guy who was kind of the opposite of what Sting did uh, that started off as the kind of uh, or scary, demonic, uh, kind of wearing all black character is The Undertaker. Dead man walking. Arguably, you know, one of the greatest characters of all time, even just through his first decade. You know, he was already kind of in the lore of, of WWF, and he's persisted 15 years later. I think even in the late 90s, people were wondering if he was going to wrap it up. Because um, he, he started that gimmick when he was a little older than most guys. Had some success. Uh, WrestleMania 13 was kind of his crowning moment of, of closing out Mania as the champion. Uh, does all that stuff with with the uh, corporate ministry and unholy alliance and all this kind of crazy stuff, and then he disappears for a while with injuries, and he comes back as a biker. Which, to anybody that had been following WWF, was like, what in the world? This is the Undertaker. I mean, they had teased a little bit with him getting on the mic more often, and he started kind of walking around backstage without his hair dyed in the way that it had always been. But I mean. He comes out on a motorcycle. What do you think when that happened? Like it kind of blew my mind a little bit, and it I I had to sit back and think. Okay, with all of the changes going on in the world of wrestling in the industry, you have a trend where guys are having their gimmick more centered around who they really are, and. So I had to kind of take myself out of the idea that The Undertaker wasn't, you know, that persona that he'd played for all those years because, you know, when I first saw The Undertaker, I was, you know, I don't know, uh, maybe nine or, yeah, like nine or ten years old, you know, laying on the floor of uh, my parents' living room, and he scared the crap out of me. Oh, yeah. You would hear that that gong go, and it's like it, you know, it just strikes something in you that's kind of, I don't know, and, and I don't know how many people that that are uh, younger than us would would really understand that, but so it was a huge change in my mind because this was a guy who, even the sound of his theme song evoked something in me from just a young age. So it was it was it was a huge shift, and uh, you know he's he's gone on to do other things and whatever, um, you know revert back. So in terms of that, maybe I I uh, didn't want to rate it higher than than having it in the number four spot, but certainly at the time it blew me away. Yeah, and I think that's why it made the top five is just that it was so drastic, um, but certainly with the fact that he's reverted to his original character. Uh, makes us makes us very different from the rest of them on the list. Um, so not deserving of number one, although in terms of uh, surprise, it might be the most surprising of all time. Um, yeah, but yeah, so you know he had some reasonable success. I believe he ended up being the WWE champion during that time, uh, the undisputed champion for a little bit. Uh, and that was probably the last time he really touched the belt, other than the 
the big gold belt. Right. But, uh, you know, clearly he's a legend, and uh, the American Badass will always be part of his legend. Now, uh, we get into the top three. I'm assuming some people might have an idea of who it's going to be, although I think this next one might surprise a few people. We've got uh, Shawn Michaels, the Heartbreak Kid. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. I've got the looks. The drives are cool. While I've got the mood. This is the one that I kind of brought up uh, to Rob, who he didn't necessarily think of him right off the bat, but um, I think we agreed he deserved to be on the list. Maybe, maybe top three is a stretch. I'm sure people might argue with that. But for me, uh, you know, we all have these moments that we remember when we first got gripped by wrestling. You know, maybe a couple scenes that happened at a a pay-per-view that you got to see on VHS or or primetime wrestling, Raw or whatever, when you started watching, uh, that stick out to you as the reason you started liking this uh, form of entertainment. So for me, one of my earliest memories was uh, HBK kicking... Well, at the time, Shawn Michaels kicking his tag team partner, Marty Jannetty, through the uh, glass window in the barbershop. The Rockers were a tag team that everybody loved, almost like the Hardy Boys, um, in the sense that they were cool. They had always been faces, really. Um, they didn't have the success of the Hardy Boys, but at the time, I mean, they were they were in that position of being kind of the, the cool, hip team. And nobody wanted to see them break up. And who knew Shawn Michaels had this in him, where he, he decks Marty Jannetty. Uh, of course, you thought you were going to have more of a blood feud between them. That didn't last too long. But he comes back in a complete repackaging uh, with the really interesting tights, you know, the white with the kind of tiger stripes. And uh, he's got a song that he sang on. I mean, to this day, how many wrestlers sang on their theme? Uh, and, uh, you know, Sensational Sherry at his side, who's at that time, one of the top valets to have. Um, you know, the mirrors on the jacket, kind of admiring himself, the whole thing. He just complete persona change from what he had been with the Rockers. And, and so to me, he's an interesting guy on this list in the sense that he didn't change his name. Um, and he just seamlessly transitioned into this new guy that, that endured for, you know, 20 years and, and was one of the most successful guys in the business. And... and- I vividly remember that segment that you're talking about. You know, you, you've got the barbershop set up. You've got Marty Jannetty kind of standing there. Shawn Michaels kind of standing sideways. He kind they of, just, I think they had just shook hands. Yep, some, something like that. And Shawn Michaels kind of turns his head for a brief moment, and then boom, it's like he explodes from being a member of the Rockers into this whole new entity. And I've never been a huge Shawn Michaels fan, so you can imagine that it has to be significant to me if I'm totally agreeing that he should be listed above Sting, above Undertaker, above Scott Steiner and Hurricane, because it was a big deal. You had you had these two guys who were high energy tag team partners who you know would shake hands with all the kids you know around the ring and you know kind of dance along to their music as they were kind of coming out and kind of jumping everywhere and all this and almost like and, tons of funk like they're they were not even that serious of a tag team right right and you know they certainly had talent but I don't even know that they had 
had a, a tag team reign at that point. No, they didn't. Um, I know that there's some discussion as to uh, they were supposed to have it, but uh, that's ne- yeah. neither here nor there. But, yeah, I mean, he he super kicks his tag team partner through a, a plate glass window, and all of a sudden he's this totally other guy. And, yeah, just like you were saying, it was totally believable. It was, okay, he's shedding this this juvenile gimmick where he's you know, playing up to the younger fans, and he's showing you what he's all about. And for a lot of people, they thought it was awesome. And for me, I hated that character. Like, not that he wasn't a good character, but, like, he was not a guy I was going to cheer for. It, for a lot of people, it was the same with, with Rick Rude. I actually liked Rick Rude, Ravishing Rick Rude. But it was just a huge change, and that kind of... I think gave way to what we would see further down the line with the Attitude Era. I mean, it was yeah. one of the very early, uh, very early gimmicks that uh, gave an edginess. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so yeah, clearly a big moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's just the shock of the moment is is what to me has always kept me watching. Uh, that I'm looking for that next Marty Jannetty through the the glass window moment. Um, and that's that's the ability they have as storytellers is to give us something completely out of left field. And so, as an impressionable young boy, that that was the moment that really sold me on, on following this product. Um, so for that reason, immediately jumped out. Um, and obviously, you can't argue with the success he's had, even though I don't think either of us are a huge fan. But right there it is, number three on the list. Now, number two, another guy who probably. Uh, a more shocking moment, probably the, the most shocking moment in wrestling, uh, when his gimmick change started. We've got Hulk Hogan becoming, I guess, Hollywood Hogan, he was known as. Yep. I don't know that there was a bigger fan favorite over the last 40 years than Hulk Hogan was during the 80s, and I guess the early part of the 90s. You could possibly argue Stone Cold. You could possibly argue John Cena. But there were not too many people who were against Hulk Hogan. For some people, um, maybe Hulk Hogan wasn't your total favorite, but I don't know how many people were, were cheering for Hogan's opponents over Hogan. And even when he went to WCW, they had that parade that happened at Disney World or Universal Studios or whatever it was. I saw it on TV and I tuned in. And he was he was an icon, not just in the industry, but in, in pop culture. I mean he was in movies, you know, he would he would get interviewed on, you know, Leno or Johnny Carson or whatever. And He's literally, literally the catalyst for a national wrestling organization. He was the first guy to go national. Yeah, well, certainly. And he was the focal point of however many WrestleManias in a row. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he was probably the focal point of every WrestleMania leading up through WrestleMania 8, even though you had Ric Flair versus Macho Man in the uh, world title match of that card. 
but that was on that was fourth on the card. <laughs> right, right. They played it in the middle of the event. I mean, you had this yeah. huge angle, and it's the middle of the event because Hulk Hogan was going to be last. Yep. So you have this huge angle where these guys are invading WCW. You know, you don't know what their deal is. You, you figure they're from WWF because that's essentially how they're playing it up. Hulk Hogan gets left off the team. Macho Man gets hurt. They need a replacement, even though it was going to be two-on-two two at that point because NWO didn't have their third guy. Hulk Hogan comes out, leg drop. Oh, my God, he's their third guy. Oh, my God, what's going on? And the guy who'd never been heel up to that point, aside from being in movies, he was always a face in WWF, he was always a face in WCW. All of a sudden, he's a heel, and people were just throwing trash in the ring. It was this huge, just visceral response from the crowd that I can't believe you turned your back on us. Yeah. Yeah, just and the, the timing of something like that, to be able to set it up, and to have it play out is, is truly amazing uh, because it's only uh, it would be really hard to imagine another scenario that you could come up with to pull off that kind of shock um, because you had Macho Man was also you know a revered face and you figured Hulk Hogan was coming there to help him uh, it just made sense that's what you always knew in wrestling and you knew these get these NWO guys were evil and then, yeah, a guy that's been the face of the industry for 10 years with one quick move suddenly becomes the most hated guy. Uh, and it was, I doubt anybody predicted it was going to happen. Yeah, and, and the way it ended up playing out, he was almost like a, a, a villain from the Batman show in the 1960s where, you know, you didn't necessarily get that showdown between Hulk Hogan and his, uh, his rival, because, you know, Hollywood Hogan, he would have his minions get in the way. He would always, you know, put goon number one up in, up in front of his opponent and goon number two in front of his opponent. And it was just, you know that this guy can beat people. You've seen him do it for the past, you know, decade or more. And all of a sudden, he's not going to stand up and, and fight. Yeah. You know, this is this is the guy that uh, after Bret Hart went down with salt in the eyes and lost the Yokozuna at WrestleMania nine, Hulk Hogan, who'd already wrestled in the match, comes out and stands up to Yokozuna, right? I mean, that's the way they were selling him at that point. And then yeah. body slammed then, him. Yeah, and then he becomes this guy who no, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight my own fights. So it was yeah. like this perfect it was the opposite side of the coin that he'd been playing for for over a decade. And I, I thought it just went off perfectly. Yeah, and that's and I think that's why uh, people clamor for a Cena heel turn, is that it's the only thing comparable that would give you the kind of shock these days. You know, it it's so hard to build up something that would be as shocking. And and if you could see John Cena turn on somebody, I don't know who it would be because I don't know if there's a Macho Man that he could do it to these days. But that's. That's one of the reasons it gets brought up, as as improbable as it is, is that you'd want to see another iconic moment like like there was with Hogan, uh, where just you have devastated fans, um, and that's that's the that's the advantage of this form of entertainment is that they can do that. They can have twenty thousand people in the arena be shocked. 
uh, and you just wish they would take that chance on on somebody like Cena. But so, and I think if that happened, if we ever saw Hollywood Cena or some sort of character like that, he might end up being on this list ten years from now. Yeah, and, and you even had the time where Stone Cold was one of the biggest faces in WWE. He was the guy that everyone was cheering for, and I believe he turned on the fans twice. He turned on the fans once to join McMahon. He turned on the fans once to join uh, Team WCW or the Alliance or whatever you want to call it during the invasion. Yeah. And yeah, the, the fans didn't love it, but they had Kurt Angle to root for. You know, they had they had other interests, and and it just it wasn't as big of a deal. Yeah, because he was always edgy anyway. You know, Hulk Hogan was so wholesome. Take your vitamins, go America. There was real yeah. no. There really wasn't an edge to Hulk Hogan before that. Right. All right. So, nope. Good. I was, was going to say that's that's why uh, it made it all the way up to number two. I'm sure a lot of people might argue that uh, that that fits in the uh, the number one spot, but uh, we we ended up going a different route for the number one spot. Yeah, I think the number one. Uh, we initially weren't sure we were going to make this number one, but then as we went down, kind of the rest of the guys we had come up with, this just made sense because it's so unique in the. Uh, in the history of wrestling, really. Uh, we have Mick Foley. <laughs> uh, just Mick Foley himself. Uh, but I, we think the ultimate change was probably Cactus Jack to Mankind as far as reinventing himself. Um, but he also went and wrestled with basically multiple personalities for a few years there with Cactus Jack and uh, Dude Love and Mankind. So why don't you talk about this, Rob, and uh, kind of the impact it had when you were watching. So I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know as much about Cactus Jack from his days in WCW. I mean, he was a character I would see on occasion. He, uh, he just looked like a wild man. You know, but there wasn't there wasn't especially a lot of personality that I was getting from him. It's not like it's not like he was a guy who had shown a lot on the mic, um, from what I had seen anyway. And suddenly you have this character who's backstage in WWE, and his name is Mankind, and he's wearing this grizzly mask, and he's got this mandible claw that he uses. But then when he speaks, it's like this creepy eloquence and just this childlike nature mixed with a psychopath. And it was just, it was one of the most creative characters I've ever seen. And he was a creepy character and it just all worked. And when you find out who he was before and then when you see how that transformed, you know, throughout his career, you know, with Dude Love and then him becoming this, you know, just Mick Foley. It just, I feel like he is the most transformative character, transformative person probably in the history of the business. And I would say the biggest leap was going into this Mankind character because honestly, I don't know how anyone else would pull off that character. Yeah, he was like, 
you know, like Bray Wyatt on crack. I mean, it was just to a whole never, another level. I mean, right now, you know, a fan that maybe didn't watch at the time of Mankind being introduced <clears throat> might have trouble kind of understanding the impact it had. And it's similar to Wyatt in the sense that it's very creepy. There's a lot of vignettes. You don't really know where this guy's coming from. But it was just on a whole new level because of the way he would he would squeal when he was in the ring, uh, you know, trying to do the mandible claw on guys. He'd be pulling his hair out, uh, you know, and just the mask kind of reminiscent of uh, Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. I mean, the whole thing was just creepy as hell. And yeah, I wasn't really familiar with Cactus Jack either. So to me, I've, I knew McFoley as Mankind first. Uh, so then in, to see that character eventually become a guy that's in the ring wearing a suit, uh, a guy that's wearing tie-dye, and have all those different incarnations that he came up with be believable. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And so, yeah, you when you think of the different skills you have to have in, in uh, this industry, you know, if you have, like, a, like, if you have an RPG character and you've got, you know, charisma, you've got strength, you've got all these different attributes. I mean, when it came to charisma and Mike and storytelling, Mick Foley was arguably the best of all time. Yeah, and and he went from being a guy who, you know, he got a, a tag team championship in WCW. He got a tag team championship uh, twice in ECW. To go from a guy who was, you know, a hardcore guy who didn't display a lot of skill other than just being able to take a beating to go from a guy who was relegated to tag teams in WCW and tag teams in ECW to making this switch and believably competing in the main event and believably being a world champion in WWE to me, that is one of the biggest reasons why that was the biggest transformation because it gave way to showing that Mick Foley had skills inside the ring and on the mic to where he could be a main event guy and maybe you weren't going to um, sell more pay-per-views because of him, but he was certainly a great opponent for guys who did sell pay-per-views and he's just one of the greatest characters of all time. Yeah, and and his WWF title victory, um, I think, goes down as one of those shocking great moments in history. Uh, it's routinely referred to as you know one of the biggest kind of pops of all time. Uh, when when Stone Cold came out uh, and helped him win, and you know I think if you look at the list of WWE champions it's kind of uh, vanilla it's kind of straightforward always a reliable main eventer until you get to Mankind he's the first guy that was truly a shocking champion I think um, and that kicked off the Attitude Era of, of the belt kind of being able to move around and be put on guys that you didn't necessarily expect it's like I'm saying I mean you look at the list it's Bret Hart it's Shawn Michaels it's Psycho Sid it's The Undertaker it's Stone Cold and then it's the man, and then it's mankind, <laughs> a guy that had debuted a little over two years earlier in a boiler room. I mean, it, it's like Bray Wyatt in a year and a half from now being champion and being hoisted on people's shoulders. Can you see that at all? 
I mean, just right. the transformation and, and the fact that, that it even happened was, was pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and that's why he uh, not only makes it on the list ahead of some of the guys that uh, we're going to give honorable mention to, but yep. uh, that's why he um, gets placed ahead of Hogan because some people might tell you that Hogan was getting stale at that point, so that's you know maybe a knock against him. HPK didn't have a ton of character at that point, so uh, you know that was kind of you know maybe not as shocking as Hogan or, or Mick Foley. You know, so I mean you can go down the list, but uh, but I think I think with with everything everything said, uh, the switch to mankind was certainly uh, a transformative moment, not just for him but for WWE. Yep. So that's our number one. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the list. Let us know if you disagree or whatever. But uh, we've got some got some honorable mentions we want to throw in here before the end of the show. Um, a couple of current guys that I think deserve a mention. Uh, one would be Damian Sandow, who was previously Idol Stevens uh, several years ago. I don't know, I guess that was maybe 2008 or so, and he was following around Michelle McCool. You know, tag team, I guess, briefly. It didn't really get anywhere. Right. And then gets uh, a full repackaging in the style of, of, a, of an HVK or Hurricane or Gold Dust, which is a completely new guy. Um, and, uh, you know, so far he's been one of the more interesting gimmicks to come out in the last several years. Uh, but he's a little too new, I think, to be on an all-time top ten list, so that's why he's not there. And similarly, we have uh, Ryback. Uh, that I wanted to mention. So I think he's also a, a potential, you know, repackaging that we down the road look at as, as uh, one of the greater of all time. Uh, then we have some other ones from the Attitude Era. I don't know if you want to hit a few of those, Rob. Yeah, so one, one of the ones that uh, that I initially had on, on part of my list was uh, 123 Kid becoming uh, X-Pac or uh, six, I guess he was he was six for a little while in uh, WCW. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like uh, you know you went from this vanilla guy who you know could do some some uh, high flying moves and you know got upset wins over people uh, to becoming this really popular for how how annoying he was um, guy that uh, went around to crotch chops like nobody's business and did this Bronco Buster where he had his balls in your face and he was just he was just crazy character and if you would look at you know if you'd look at him as one two three kid and Xbox side by side it's like it's it's night and day. It's it's you know yeah, it's, and that it's was, just crazy on his twenty first birthday and boom he's a totally different guy. Yeah that follows in line with some of the stuff we talked about. This the surprise of him beating Razor Ramon was one of those all-time memories uh but then yeah several years later seeing that's a completely different character like wait a second that's the one two three kid <laughs> what the hell happened right um it was certainly a change for the better i think uh i think everyone would agree even though yeah. a lot of people don't like x-pac myself included um another guy who we uh we we thought about mentioning on this list was uh was kane himself but uh you know, we didn't include him in the top ten because he's the reason that this top ten is going on. It's kind of, you know, here are the top ten gimmick changes um, other than, you know, what we saw from, from Kane becoming 
this Citizen Kane character uh, because he was a dentist. He was a deranged dentist for Jerry Lawler. You know, Isaac Yankum DDS. And uh, then not not too long after that, uh, he was the Undertaker's brother. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think one of the reasons we didn't quite feel like he fit the list was that there was absolutely no connection between his previous character as the as the dentist and Kane. Um, all the other ones on the list were connected in some way, I think, either through keeping the same name or never really went off screen, things like that. Yeah, I mean, you could you could almost essentially say that uh, that Isaac Yankum and Kane are, are just played by the same actor, almost. Um, yeah. You could maybe almost say that about Raven, but to the same extent, he did reference uh, Johnny Polo a few times as like you know his uh, his alter ego that kind of spurred him to you know to go the dark path. Um, you had a really interesting group of people who you had included uh, in your initial list, and they, in my mind, they weren't as successful as they should have been, and that's why I didn't feel like we should include them on our top ten. But yeah. uh, I was certainly glad to hear you bring them up. Yeah, right to censor. Uh, I thought it was a really cool, really cool gimmick. Uh, the group was previously known as the Godfather. You know, as the ladies' man, Valvinus, also a ladies' man. Um, I don't really recall what Stevie Richards' gimmick was. I guess he was was he kind of just a babyface? Yeah, yeah. And, a whole and lot he to had uh, he had an interesting role in ECW where he was kind of. Raven's lackey and and whatever, but uh, yeah, he didn't do too much in WF before then. They kind of just repackaged him as this cult leader of of people who uh, were and against I'm, the R-rated material. I'm drawing a blank on the the female. What was it? Um, I believe it was Ivory. Ivory, yeah, yeah. So you had a whole repackaging of these four, you know, wearing a white button-up shirt, almost looking like a. Jehovah's Witness, door-to-door type people trying to tell everyone, you know, to, to stop being so crude. And, they, and anytime there was, like, some sort of risque segment in the ring, they would their little, like, uh, siren would go off, and they'd come out and try to shut it down. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it had a lot of potential because of the, the contrast between that gimmick and what was going on at the time with, with so much, you know, they were pushing the envelope with the bikini contests and all these other things. Uh, and to have a guy like the Godfather and Valvinus involved it was just funny. And, and one of my uh, frustrations with WWE over the years is uh, their unwillingness to invest in groups like this, other than just to get them on TV. You know, they get them on TV, they get you riled up about it, and you know they're just a good uh, a good group of people for for their faces to kind of knock down. You know, it's 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 almost a cheap. Uh, a cheap applause getter, but yeah, three uh, and B. Yeah, and I, I almost feel like uh, they should have they should have given them you know a little bit of strength by giving them a championship here. They're not certainly not the world title, but uh, yeah, there's no reason why Stephen Richards couldn't have been Intercontinental Champion or Tag Team Champion at the time. Yeah, so. I agree, and I, I I almost feel the same way about three and B. I mean, I know they're none none of those three guys in particular are that outstanding, but. I think the gimmick's fairly strong. It would be nice if they got a win here and there instead of just being a complete joke. Um, but anyway, so uh, moving on, we got a bunch of other guys to jump on here. Uh, 
also wanted to mention real quick that we thought about including Charles Wright himself, who had been Papa Shango, Kama Mustafa, uh, Godfather and Goodfather in, in Right to Censor. He's almost on a McFoley level of the, the number of characters he played, although certainly not uh, the icon that McFoley was. But So, uh, a few others during the Attitude Era that don't quite fit. Uh, we thought Stone Cold might deserve a mention because he had been the ringmaster. Uh, paired up, you know, as the Million Dollar Champion with uh, Ted DiBiase, and previously had been in the Hollywood Blondes and WCW, and was fairly successful there, getting a lot of airtime, uh, and transitions into the Stone Cold character. But it wasn't quite the same as like HBK, where there was a quick transition and a repackaging. Uh, Stone Cold was a long transition of you know being aggressive, uh, talking more on the mic, you know, getting the fans behind him. So it didn't quite fit a repackaging. We thought. It was just more of a, a transition into who he really was. Yeah, and, and we felt similarly about uh, Triple H. You know, obviously he started out as the blue blood pedigree, you know, man from Greenwich, Connecticut, and, you know, would do the proper bowing and whatever. And while that was certainly uh, a significant difference from the character he eventually played in DX, it was essentially, um, as I was kind of talking about uh, before the show you know as we were whittling down this list essentially a, a guy who looks down his nose at all of his opponents and you know feels like you know he's better than them and that they're not good enough to share the ring with him and it's just the level of disrespect he showed them and the crudeness that he would use that kind of changed and that was like a gradual change as he started standing next to Shawn Michaels so that's yeah. why I didn't feel like he deserved to be on the list. Yeah, I do feel that his the character that he ultimately became is, is definitely different than what he came in as. But yeah, there's just it was too gradual a change. It wasn't really a repackaging. Um, <clears throat> so and then we got a couple other guys that seemed to belong together. Um, you had Lex Luger, who was kind of the All American in WCW, and then he gets re- repackaged as the narcissist in WWF. He's posing in front of the mirror. I think he did. He have Bobby the Brain as a as manager. He did. He yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he was kind of a big a big deal. They spent a lot of time on him. They had vignettes and everything. Uh, but it didn't last. After a few months, he went back to his original gimmick. Yeah, and and I thought he was much better as a heel. Um, and I, I think they would come to figure that out as they uh, certainly had a lot of trouble of figuring out what to do with him after WrestleMania 10, but. I guess given his limited uh, in-ring skill set, maybe that's uh, maybe that's for the better. They yeah, wanted him to be the next Hulk Hogan, but yeah, right. didn't really get there. Uh, and then, like I said, there's a guy that kind of fits his same uh, trajectory, which would be Sergeant Slaughter. Was you know the All-American uh, face, and I think I think he could have been arguably on this list, um, but he just wasn't that impactful in the grand scheme of things. Um, but he became an Iraqi sympathizer during the Gulf War uh, and headlined WrestleMania 7. So that was a pretty big deal. Um, I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of fans were pretty shocked by that. Uh, but then he gradually reverted back to form and became a, a stooge <laughs> for Vince yeah. and it, it almost felt like they uh, they just did that switch to becoming a heel so that it gave someone good for Hulk Hogan to go against because they didn't really stay with uh, Sergeant Slaughter as a heel. I mean, I think even if you take away the Iraqi sympathizer part of it, 
it would be awesome to see him get out there and just browbeat some uh, some jobbers and put people in the Cobra clutch and just not let go. Yeah. Um, kind of similar to what uh, Bob Backman would end up doing in the mid-90s when he had his return. Um, but yeah, he he uh, his gimmick change didn't last long enough for him to Although, get this. Certainly he's the most inflammatory gimmick change. Uh, I believe there were death threats and like a bomb threat or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so from that from that sense, it, it certainly had a big impact on, on a section of the fans. Uh, all right, and the last two we want to touch on both come from royalty. Uh, <laughs> the Macho Man, I guess he was eliminated in the Royal Rumble, like 88 or something, by Hulk Hogan, and, and freaks out and becomes the Macho King. Um, but, you know, to me, that was kind of not too far removed from his original and his, his gimmick that he kept throughout his career. Yeah, and, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily much of a change from uh, from his face gimmick, right? Because it's yeah. not like he was not like he was hugging kids and all that. I mean, he was he was certainly a uh, an entertaining athlete to watch, but in terms of you know expecting him to give you his his uh, macho man shades or whatever, that's not the kind of guy he was. Yeah. So it was just kind of, he was a tweener who everyone loved to cheer for because he was excellent in the ring, and uh, then he became a heel. Yeah. He had his coronation, I guess, at the King of the Ring and all that. Uh, and then the other king is King Booker. Why don't you tell us about that? Yep, and, uh, you know, Booker T was a big deal in WCW. Um, he, he essentially carried that company through the final year or two of its existence. He comes over, he has decent feuds with The Rock and uh, Stone Cold, but then uh, he starts to lose steam, and then uh, suddenly he wins a, a uh, King of the Ring, and uh, he's suddenly King Booker. And I feel like out of everyone who would wear a crown and play up the fact that they were royalty, I almost feel like Booker T um, did it the best. Uh, you know, he would King Booker, and he would, you know, he had this this fake British accent, and he would always wear his uh, his cape and his crown, and he had Queen Charmel. Um, he had a full yeah, royal card. He did, and uh, so I felt like that was a pretty good change, but not something that made the list because at that point you know he was headlining Smackdown which was certainly the uh, the second show at that point he's certainly one of the more interesting switches in the sense that he was so well established in his career already you know usually these changes happen early on I mean he was already in his 40s yeah uh, so kind of a late bloomer for a, for a gimmick change uh, so certainly worth a mention all right well, that's a full hour of a special uh, top ten list of all-time <laughs> repackagings. Uh, hopefully you guys like the list. Uh, like we said, hit us up, uh, GN Wrestling on Twitter, at the Guys Nation Wrestling Facebook page, and wrestling at guysnation.com is the email. If you have any other ideas for other countdown lists you want to hear, uh, definitely let us know about that as well. And uh, e even, if, even if you don't have a question for us on Twitter, if you give us a comment on Twitter and uh, mention at GN Wrestling, 
we will not only retweet you with that Twitter account, but we will retweet you with the much more powerful at Guys Nation. There you go. Get so there's a little incentive. Little Get your ass some followers. There you go. All right. Well, it's been a been a good time, Rob. I'll catch you next time. Until then. All right.